Philemon chapter number 1. And I'd like to begin reading at verse number 1. And we're going to read the first 21 verses of the book of Philemon. I want you to pay extra close attention this morning. I believe the Lord will help you the way that He's helped me as I've studied this. The Bible says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy our brother, unto Philemon our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Aphia, and Archippus our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might minister, might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, specially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh... And in the Lord, if thou count me therefore a partner, oh, I like this, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time you've given us. Thank you for the way that you've encouraged us and spoken to our hearts through the singing. Thank you for the good fellowship we've had. But Lord, most of all, thank you for the Holy Spirit, His presence this morning and His moving and His working. Now, Lord, I want to confess before these people my inability. Lord, I'm incapable of the preaching that needs to take place this morning. But I know that through the unction of the Holy Ghost, Lord, and through the submission of myself, I know that you can be glorified and your Son can be magnified. Lord, and saints can be encouraged and sinners convicted. And Lord, that you can work in hearts and lives. So, Father, I ask you to accomplish this in a way that would bring glory only unto you and to your Son. Father, thank you for Calvary. Thank you for giving your Son. Thank you for loving us. Teach us to love you more. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. The little book of Philemon has been called before the greatest piece of writing in the history of literature. And as you read this book, it's hard to not see within it so many dramatic and spiritual things. As you read through it, you can of course see the tender appeal of Paul uh, to this man by the name of Philemon. 
You can see the uh, perfect example of Christian forgiveness in this passage. You can see the providence of God in bringing Onesimus uh, to the prison cell that Paul was at. But this morning, what I want to do is I want to merely take this little book and show you Jesus Christ within it. You know, old uh, Dr. Harold Seitler used to always say uh, that you can find Jesus on every page of the Bible. He said, if you read a page and you miss Him, uh, turn the next page, you'll probably find Him twice. And there's no question that our Lord said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of uh, me, O Lord, to do Thy will. And I believe as we read this passage, though I don't know that you could properly call it a type, a type being an Old Testament thing, I do believe that you can find a picture of what Christ did for you and me. You see, this is the story of a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus. It's interesting that his name actually means profitable. Because uh, Paul says that at one time he was unprofitable. And do you know that in Bible times... And listen, I don't know how this is going to go. I just I got so much here this morning. And I got so much in this passage. I'm just going to try to walk along, pick something up, and throw it at you. Amen? So... Just hang close with me. It's interesting to me, you know, in Bible times, they give a man a name and it meant something. It shared, it showed their identity. It defined who they were. Isn't it something that here's Onesimus and when he was born and bouncing upon his mother's knee, they looked upon him and said, you're going to be profitable. You see, he was made to be profitable. But Paul said there came a time in his life when he was unprofitable. Then when he meets Paul and everything changes, he becomes profitable again. You know that you and I, oh, don't start that now. You know that you and I are made in the image of God. We were made to be unto His glory and unto His honor. Then there came a time, then there came a time when we departed, therefore, for a season. Now He's received us forever if we've accepted Christ as our Savior. And now what we were intended to be, we are in Jesus Christ, what He called us to be. Onesimus uh, was the slave of a man by the name of Philemon. Philemon was, uh, we believe, to be a wealthy man at the church at Colossae. And uh, you notice that Paul spoke of the church that was in his house. We believe him to be a wealthy man, not necessarily because he owned a slave. Slavery was very common in that time and in that part of the world. But because he had a house large enough to have church within it. And uh, the story goes, and I believe that our uh, assumptions are correct about this, that evidently there came a time when Onesimus ran away. We believe that when he ran away, he probably stole something from Philemon. Well, he was trying to run, but he ran right into the will of God because he comes to know a man by the name of Paul. Paul is in prison at Rome. And there within that prison cell, and I don't know if Onesimus got carried in on charges. I don't know if they brought him in and stuck him in a cell beside him, or maybe he was going to visit someone. But somehow Onesimus meets Paul. Paul, doing what Paul always did, began to tell him about Jesus Christ. We learn that Onesimus comes to know the Lord as his Savior. Well, then Onesimus is faced with a problem. You see, he still has his past to deal with. He still has to do so. He's a runaway slave. He's a thief. He's a robber. And how is he ever going to go home to his master Philemon? And I can kind of imagine, you know, as they're sitting there talking and, and Onesimus says, you know, Paul, I just I don't know what to do. I've got this master back in Colossae. And I know if I go home, I know he'll kill me. I know there's no way I can go into his presence. I just don't know what I'm going to do. I ran away. I wronged him. I defrauded him, Paul. What am I going to do? And uh, I can kind of see Paul go, well, what's his name? And he says, Philemon. I can kind of see Paul smile. <laughs> And he says, you know, I happen to know Philemon. He says, maybe, Onesimus, I can write a letter. 
and send it to Philemon. And you can go carrying that letter. And whenever you get there, tell Philemon, before he ever, in an angry rage, falls upon you and takes vengeance, plead with him and say, please read this letter from Brother Paul. And in this letter, Paul begins to plead Onesimus' case. But you know, as I read this, I'm struck by the characters that are found in this little letter. Because when I read about Onesimus, I see him as a picture of the sinner of you and I. Do you know, uh, first off, we find that Onesimus was a rebel at his very heart. Why do you think it is that Paul, whenever writing to Philemon, says in verse number 11, he says, which in time past was to thee unprofitable. Now, there's one main reason that people owned slaves during that time, and that was profit. That was why they did it. They did it to make money. They did it. They bought and sold. They did it to raise crops. They did it to do work. And the uh, entire value of a slave was vested in his ability to be profitable. If the Bible tells us that Onesimus was profitable, there's only one way that a slave is going to become unprofitable, and that's by refusing to obey the orders of the master that owned him. That tells me that there was a time when you would have walked into the house of Philemon and you would have seen a bitter and soured up slave over in the corner. You would have looked and you might have seen a a multitude of slaves that Philemon had, but old Onesimus, he would have stuck out from the rest. You would have seen the flame of rage in his eye when he was given an order. You would have seen the defiance wash across his face whenever Philemon told him to go and do something. He may have done it. You know, how many of y'all have had have raised teenagers at some point? You know what I'm talking about then, amen? Uh, that, that idea of, you know, I may be stand, uh, standing up on the outside, but I'm a sitting down on the inside. That was Onesimus. He was a rebel. He wanted to do everything contrary, I'm sure, to what Philemon wanted him to do. But, you know, it's hard to be uh, difficult on him, or it's difficult to be hard on him, because the truth of the matter, that's you and I. We were created of God to be to His glory, to His honor. But do you know within the very heart of a sin-fallen and corrupted and black-hearted human being is the very defiance that causes us to turn contrary to God? You don't, you ever notice you don't have to teach a child to do wrong, amen? You gotta teach them to do right. Because it's within our hearts to rebel and to turn from God. I was talking to someone one day and they were talking about trusting their teenager. It was everything I could do not throttle them. Why would you trust a teenager? I mean, the truth of man, listen, I'm not being hard on teenagers. I used to be one at one time. Some of y'all probably did too. But the truth of the matter is, teenagers do what seems, what sounds good at the moment. And sometimes that's some pretty silly things. And one surefire way a lot of times to get a child to do something is to tell them uh, not to do it. And they'll, they'll beat a path trying to disobey you. Disobedience is within the heart of mankind. We don't have to be trained or taught how to be disobedient. We are rebels at our very core. When God planted a garden in Eden and He put man in it and He gave him a job to do, and He said, this whole garden sits before you. You can have anything in this garden, but there's one tree that you can't have. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Man said, that's the tree that I want. That's the one that I want. Not because the fruit was any sweeter, not because it was any prettier, but because that was the one that God said, know about. Man said, that's the one that I want. We're rebels at our very core. But I see something else about Onesimus. I see that not only was he a rebel, but I see he was a runaway. I don't know when it happened. I don't know what the circumstances were. But at some point, Onesimus said, he'll not draw a whip across my back again. He'll not tell me what to do again. I'll not listen to him anymore. And he set off down the road, running from his master. You know, by the way, just because he ran, that didn't mean Philemon wasn't his master. You know, it's you and me. 
know what the Bible says about the world? The Bible says that uh, when the world by wisdom knew not God, God uh, chose the foolishness of preaching. The Bible says that God had revealed himself through wisdom, but the world through wisdom knew not God. God made himself known to his creation and man did everything they could to run from it. And even today, there may be some in this room, there may be some lost and undone without Christ. And you're running from the only hope that you'll ever have. You're running from the one. And listen, you may run now, but you'll bow later. You may run now, but you'll bow later. Just because you run, that don't mean that God isn't still on His throne. And listen, we can shake our fists towards heaven. We can tell God how unfair He is. By the way, I'm sure glad He's unfair. If He was fair, I'd be in hell this morning. But we can shake our fists at God. We can call Him unjust. We can call Him unfair. And we can curse His name. But it won't make Him any less God. He'll still be God. You see, it didn't liberate Him by running. All it did was make Him a fugitive. And the lost sinner that pushes away the wooing, convicting power of the Holy Ghost and tells the Lord no, doesn't make Him any less accountable to God. He's still a runaway. doesn't make Him free. It makes Him a fugitive. And there's a difference between being free and being a fugitive. You're truly free. Then, oh, you're truly free. Then your day of reckoning has already come and gone. But if you're a fugitive, you may be free for the moment. But there's coming a day of reckoning. And I'm here to serve notice on each and every one of us. The Bible says, if the Son hath made you free, ye are free indeed. And the fact of the matter is, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you may do what you want now. You may have the run of things now. You may look towards heaven and say, God, you're not going to tell me what to do. You may shake your fist at Him and curse His name. Say, nobody's going to tell me what to do. But there'll come a day when your knee will bow. Come a day when you will have to answer for the way that you live. We can curse the rising sun, but it won't stop it from rising. We can curse the blessed Lord of heaven, and it won't stop Him from reigning. He's sovereign and He'll always be sovereign. He's on His throne. He'll always be on His throne. He was a runaway. But then I see something else about Onesimus that sticks out in my mind. And that's that he was a robber. Whenever Paul says, and you'll see it down in uh, verse number 18, he says, if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. Now, Obviously, we're not talking about paying uh, to uh, necessarily liberate uh, Onesimus because he's not saying I'm going to pay for Onesimus here, but what he's saying is if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee anything. It's assumed, and I believe it is a natural and correct assumption, that probably when Onesimus left, you know, one thing about slaves, they don't usually have big bank accounts to dip into. (laughs) And probably he didn't have anything to his name. You see, nothing belonged to him. It all belonged to Philemon. Let me say that again till it soaks. Nothing belonged to him. It all belonged to Philemon. And so when he left, if he took anything for his own, he had to take it from his master. You know, that's you and me. Anything we've got, it's come from the Lord's hand from heaven. Every good gift, the Bible says in the book of James, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. If you woke up this morning, that's a gift from God. If you took a breath this morning, that's a gift from God. If your legs work this morning, that's a gift from God. If your mind worked, well, I won't say that, some of you are exempt, but anything that you did today, it's a gift from God. And you know what we do? God's given us life. Why did He give us life? Why does God allow us to be born? Why does He allow us to? He allows us so that we might come to know the saving grace 
of Jesus Christ. But you know what we do? We take this health and we take this money and we take this time and we take these uh, families and, and the friends that we've got and all the things that God's blessed us with and we want to go fugitive with them. We want to take them and hijack them and claim them in our name and do with them as we please. We're nothing. Listen, oh man, Dr. Field have a stroke if he heard me say this, but listen now, ain't none of us anything but thieves. That's what we are. Joe Osteen would have an aneurysm if he heard it. But all of us, we're just dirty, rotten, filthy sinners and thieves. That's what all of us are. We've robbed God. We've took what belonged to Him and was for His glory. That's all of us. Every one of us. We're all that way. I see in Onesimus a picture of the Savior, or of the sinner. But, you know, when I read about Philemon, if Onesimus is the sinner, then Philemon would have to be God the Father. And as I read that, that does, that does stick out to me. And, and, you know, I used to always kind of, I don't know, you'd almost have to be a preacher to understand this, but, uh, you know, so, sometimes you're going to take this wrong when I say it. I know you are. But that's okay. You love me enough to forgive me anyway. Sometimes as a preacher, and those of you that have ever uh, preached, you know what I mean, uh, sometimes verse, uh, you know, a verse of Scripture just mess up a good sermon. You know what I mean? Yeah, Brother Holt knows what I mean. He, he was a pastor. He's a preacher. He knows. And what I mean is this, that as I studied this, and I began to think of Philemon, I thought, you know, Philemon just don't seem much like God the Father. Because when I read about Philemon, he, you know, he seems like this harsh and cruel master and this person that Onesimus is terrified of. But then as I got to reading more, you know, it's one thing to listen to what the slave says about the master. It's another thing to listen to what the advocate says about the master. What's Paul saying about it? And as I began to see this, I began to think about all these things. I want you to notice that he was a picture of God according to the portrait that Paul painted for him. Listen to what he says. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, listen now, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. You know, the Bible says that we're fellow laborers together with God. When Paul spoke about Philemon, he said, this is somebody who will come up alongside you and help you. This is someone that will come along beside you and help you accomplish the work that you're called to do. And we're called fellow laborers with God. It says, and to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier. Now, here's another one. And to the church in thy house. You know, the Bible says about you and I that we're seated together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I understand that the church is an assembled body of believers, baptized believers, carrying out the Great Commission. I can give you the theological definition of a church all day long. But the fact of the matter is, even though that is true about a local church, it doesn't change the fact that the entire church is, in a sense, seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I mean, in a sense, we're already in the house of God. Not the house of God in the sense of this church building, but the house of God in the sense of the presence of God. So I see that that is a picture of God. Then he says, I thank my God. Uh, he says, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. And I thought, boy, you know, that's something Jesus always did. When he uh, taught his disciples how to pray, he said, you begin this way. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Paul says, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. You know, that's true as well. Aren't you thankful God loves you this morning? Aren't you thankful that, that heaven has some good news for you and God loves you this morning? And I read a little bit further. He says that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Some of you just said, huh, when we read that. But read it slowly and carefully. That the communication of thy faith, what the faith of God, the conversation or communication or the relationship of thy faith may become effectual. You know, the Bible says He's the Savior of all men, especially to them that believe. 
Uh, Do you know that salvation is free and paid for for all? But it's not effectual to all because not all have received Him. So how does it become effectual? By the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. You've got to believe that Christ was the Son of God and God in the flesh. I read a little further. He says, uh, for we have great joy and consolation in thy love. We ought to be able to shout that this morning on that. Because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Aren't you thankful? And by the way, that word bowel in the Word of God, we know what it means today. And we're thinking, I don't want to be in anybody's bowels. Amen. But uh, in uh, the Word of God, that word bowel was used denoting the most tender and innermost love and adoration and affection. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, the love of the saints is refreshed by thee, Philemon. Aren't you thankful? You know, I, I tell you this, not everybody's quite so lovable as I am. You know that? And not everybody's quite so lovable as you are. And some folks, they're just plain hard to love. And they're hard to like. But aren't you thankful that the Holy Ghost from heaven comes along and gives us the grace to deal with people that are hard to deal with? So as I read this, I saw a portrait of God the Father. But then I say not only by His portrait, but by His possession. You see, uh, and there ain't no kind way to put it, but Onesimus just plain out belonged to Philemon. He was his property. Now, I know how politically incorrect that is today. By the way, being lost is politically incorrect, amen? Being lost and dying and going to hell, that is politically incorrect. uh, Because it's not very polite to turn your back on the grace that God's given to us. But the fact of the matter is, that's the truth. He was his property. He belonged to him. This time, in this part of the world, you'd go out and you'd buy a slave like we'd go out and buy a car. And there was nothing uh, affectionate about the relationship that they had. You know, that's true of all of God's creations. We belong to God. I know that that doesn't gee and haw with pop psychology today. I get that. I know that's not popular. I, I understand that. And we all like to say, I don't belong to nobody, I belong to me. And you can say it all you want. You can say it till you're blue in the face. You can say it till you pass out. But you won't say it till it changes anything. Because it's never going to change that we're all God's creations. We may not all be God's children. The Bible teaches we're not all God's children. Only those that have accepted Him. But uh, the Bible says in the book of uh, John chapter 1, But to as many as received Him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Not everybody's a child of God, but we're all the creations of God. Listen, you can go out and find the uh, most pitiful, down and desperate, and lost and pathetic sinner uh, out on the street, and he'll still belong to God in a sense. Still be God's creation. And I see not only that his possession in Onesimus, but I see also his prerogative. Whoever's doing that, stop. (laughs) I see his prerogative. You know that Onesimus, or Philemon, if Onesimus had come home, had the legal right to kill Onesimus if he wanted to. Onesimus, you know, slaves didn't have many rights. But it was not in the best interest of most masters to kill their slaves. They'd paid a lot of money for him. But Philemon had the legal right to strike him dead when Onesimus came through that door. Listen, I, I know we don't like to admit it, but did you know that our times are in the hands of the Lord God Almighty? He started your heart a beating and He can stop it. He started you a thinking and He can stop it. We may not like it. You say, this isn't a fun sermon. It's about to get fun. We may not like it, but that's the truth of the matter.
We belong to God, and God has the ultimate say in our life. So I don't like it. It don't change it. God chooses to do... You know, I, it's so sad. Them folks just died in those tornadoes. Something I'm always reminded of when there's great uh, natural events like that, natural tragedies, is just the awesome and irresistible power of God. Do you understand there's a lot of things that man can control, but he can't control the weather. But God has the ability to snap his fingers and send a tidal wave, send a tornado, send a hurricane. God can do as he pleases. Why would we think that God has no say in our life? Why would we think, listen, if God can stop the sun, why would he think that he can't stop us? I mean, if, if, if God can raise the dead, why would we think he's incapable of taking the living and striking them dead if he chose to. God's able to do that. And that was Philemon's prerogative. But then everything changed. I, it may have been that Philemon had in mind to kill Onesimus. I do not know. But we know that that day did not come. And it's because, you know, I see in Onesimus a picture of the sinner or the slave. And I see in Philemon a picture of the sovereign. I'm thankful, though, this morning that I've got the good news to tell you that I see in Paul a picture of the Savior. Now, I'm not saying that Paul was the Savior. I'm not trying to put him on some false pedestal. But I'm merely saying that as we follow this vein of thought, it's very easy to see how that Paul can be a picture of Jesus Christ. And I noticed three things. I could give you 3,000, but we don't have time. I want you to notice, first off, his affection that he had towards Onesimus. Look what it says in verse number 12. He says, "...whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him." That is, and notice it does not say that is in, it says that is my own vows. Again, this word vows reflects the most tender and innermost affection that you can have. In other words, it denotes as much love as you can have for someone. And you know what? Oh, you know what the Bible says Paul tells us about Honesimus? This poor, rotten, filthy, low-down, runaway, rebellious slave that deserves to go home to his master and die for what he's done. Paul says, that's my heart right there. That's my love right there. This Onesimus, this one that at one time was unprofitable. He's the very one that I live and breathe for. Oh, listen, if that don't do something to you, I'm worried about you. To think about the fact that us... You know, the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet, what, church members, choir singers, good folks, Pharisees, says in while that we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I always worry about those that believe in a work salvation, believe in baptism by salvation. That's another gospel. You hearing me? That's another gospel. I reckon they just pulled that thief off the cross and baptized him, hung him back up there so he could go to meet him in paradise. No, that's not what he did. I suppose uh, uh, the Lord that, that Philip was lying when he looked at uh, that Ethiopian eunuch, and that eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? He said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with all thine heart, and thou mayest. I guess that Philip lied to him. I guess Philip must have just been telling tales. It worries me when people start trying to mix things in with the grace of God. Because the Bible says it's either all of grace or it's all of works, one or the other. Listen to me. You weren't worth nothing when God found you to anybody except Him. You weren't worth anything. Do you understand that Onesimus, oh, Onesimus is as good as dead. 
I mean, he is all, there is a death warrant written out. There is a, listen, there is a warrant out for his arrest. He is dead. It's only a matter of time before justice catches up with him. Oh, but before justice can ever catch him, here comes Paul with the pen of the Savior and shows mercy to him. Isn't it wonderful? (laughs) Isn't it wonderful that Paul loved him? Paul didn't have to love him. Listen, I wonder how many people passed through that jail. There Paul is in this Roman dungeon. If it had been me or you, we'd have been whining about it. But Paul sees a man by the name of Onesimus walks by and he says, there's somebody that God loves. There's somebody Christ died for. There's somebody that needs the Savior. And he reaches out to him and he shows him the love of Christ. I see it by his affection. But I see not only by his affection, but I see it by his compensation. I, you know, I, I'm sure that as they discuss these matters, Onesimus said, you know, you know, I'd love to go home. I'd love to go back to Philemon. I'd love to tell him how sorry I am. I'd love to tell him that it was all a mistake. I'd love to just plead with him. And, you know, maybe, just maybe Philemon would have mercy on me. But there's a problem, Paul. Whenever I left, I robbed him. And I owe a debt that I can't pay. Paul, what am I going to do? Paul says, well, I'll tell you what you do. I'm going to write this letter and I'm going to... <laughs> I'm going to write this letter and I'm going to write down on it. And I'm going to tell him, Philemon, if he owes you anything, if he's wronged you in any way, if he's done anything against you, if there's a debt that he owes that he can't pay... Philemon, you just come looking for Paul to pay that debt. Put that on mine account. He says, I've written it with mine own hand and I'll repay it. Oh, what a picture of Calvary this morning. Oh, when we owed a debt we could not pay. Oh, when we had a problem we couldn't solve. Oh, when we had an enemy we could not defeat. Christ came along and said, I'll pay your debt. I'll fix your problems. I'll defeat your enemies. I'll do what you can't do. I'll do what I must do. And I'll save you in your present state. That's the kind of Savior we have. Oh, my. <laughs> you know, there's a wonderful exchange that takes place. You and I owed a lot of sin debt. And you know what Christ did when He died on Calvary? He took out a blank check and He signed His name. And He said, I'll pay whatever you owe. And we came to Him and we said, well, we got more than we can pay. He said, I'll pay it all. He gave us a blank check for our sin. And then whenever that happened, we came to Him and we said, well, Lord, I owe it all to You. And if we did what we ought to have done, we took out a blank check and we signed our name for the will of God for our life and we gave it to Him and we said, Lord, here's a blank check for my life. Do with me whatever You want. And the Lord came, and then the Lord came along and He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. You've got difficulties and you've got burdens and you've got things you can't pay and things you can't do. He said, I'll just write you a blank check for all your burdens and trials and problems. That's the wonderful God that we serve today. That ain't no Muslim God this morning. Ain't no Jehovah's Witness God this morning. That ain't Buddha this morning. That, listen, that, that ain't Buddha. That, God help us. That ain't Buddha this morning. I worry about somebody that looks like me. Amen? <laughs> we see his compensation. But then I see one final thing. Not final, final. Don't get excited. But I see that Onesimus might have said, Well, you know, Paul, I may not even be able to get in the door. 
And you can kind of see him. You know, Onesimus probably did what you and I do when the Holy Spirit's are working on us. And we start making excuses and we start backpedaling, trying to find some way out of it in some way uh, that it's not a good idea. And Onesimus might have said something like this. You know, Paul, Philemon won't even let me through the door when I get there. I, I mean, I can't even... I, I would love to plead my case. I'd love to tell him you'll pay my debt. But I can't even get in the door when I get there. What am I going to do? Paul said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll put something else in there. And you find it three times in the book of Philemon. Look at verse number 12. He says, Whom I have sinned again, thou therefore receive him. Verse 15 says, For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him. And look down at verse number 17. Oh my, if thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. We find in this passage not only Paul's affection and compensation, but we see his intercession. This little short verse is the greatest text verse on the doctrine of justification that I know of. Because what Paul says is, Paul says, when Onesimus gets there, Philemon, if you was going to cook me a meal, I want you to cook him a meal. If you was going to wash my feet, Philemon, I don't want you to wash my feet. I want you to wash his feet. If you was going to do like the father did for the prodigal son, if you had a ring for my finger, put it on his. If you had a robe for my shoulders, put it on him. If you had a fatted calf for me, slay it for him. Receive him just as you'd receive me. You know, that's what happens when we get saved. I mean, listen, friend, you're not just forgiven, you're justified. I mean, it, it didn't, uh, Christ's salvation, it don't put us back in the garden with Adam. It seats us together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That's what Christ's salvation does. Christ's salvation, listen, it don't just wipe the slate clean. Oh, it writes our name in heaven. It does something different. Do <laughs> you know that when God sees us, He sees His Son? Heard it said often, when God sees us, He sees the blood. And I know what's meant, and I agree in a sense, but, but really if we were to be scripturally accurate, we'd say when He sees us, He sees His Son. We're in Christ Jesus. What did the Bible say in the book of Colossians, chapter number 3? For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Christ, writing or, uh, praying to His Father, prayed this, Lord, uh, He said, uh, let us all be one. I in you and them in me. God sees us. You know why the Bible calls us joint heirs? Joint heirs. We're, oh man, we're not servants, we're joint heirs. I mean, we're, listen, we're on equal footing as far as how God treats us with Jesus Christ. We see His intercession. And then I, I just want to say a quick word about the salvation that took place. That was my introduction. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> I want you to look at verse number 16. What did Philemon do? What did Philemon do? Well, the Bible says in verse number 16, we'll start at verse 15, For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved. We see his acceptance with Philemon. The Bible teaches that he is accepted now. <laughs> he's not just a servant. He's a brother. He came home to a different status than he... Oh my, that's grace this morning. That's grace this morning. When we deserve hell, we got hope. I mean, when we discovered there, when we deserve... Oh, when we deserve damnation, we got deliverance. 
And when we deserve to be cast off forever, we found liberty in Jesus Christ. We left a rebel and a runaway and a robber. But when Onesimus comes home, he comes home as a brother. He comes home in better shape than he left in. We see his acceptance, but notice also his adoration. A brother, what does it say? Beloved. Beloved. You know, I I don't know, but I believe this is probably so. That probably there wasn't much warmness and affection between Philemon and Onesimus before he left. They probably just had the typical relationship that a master and a slave would. Philemon would pass down orders. Onesimus would receive them and begrudgingly do them. But now, when he walks through that door the second time, we see his adoration. Now he's loved. And the Bible says we are accepted in the beloved. Notice also his alteration, verse 11. The Bible says, which in time past was to be unprofitable, but now profitable to me and to me. You know what? You know what happened? You know what meeting Paul did? Meeting Paul made Onesimus took him from being a bad servant to being a good servant. It changed the way he lived. I still believe in a Christ that changes men. I still believe in a salvation that changes people. And we find that when he left, he was unprofitable. He wasn't mine. He wasn't okay. He wouldn't do anything that believe and ask him to. Nothing but a headache and a heartache. But when he comes home, even though he's coming home as a brother, he's now profitable to his master. You know, that's our relationship with Jesus Christ, or should be. Though we're above a servant, still we serve him. Though we're a brother, we still don't try to exalt ourselves to that position. We let him exalt us to that position. Instead, we come in and say, Lord, just teach me to be the best servant that I can. We see the alteration. I want you to notice the abundance. Verse 21. I need about six more hours to preach this, but I don't have it. <laughs> I like this. I've never seen it before. But in verse 21, as he's closing out his appeal, Paul says, Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also, Paul, do more than I say. Paul wrote and said, Oh, I know you're going to do what I asked you to do, but I know you're going to do even more than I asked you to do. Let me tell you something. If the goodness of God in our life was limited only to the things that God has promised He'd do, it'd still be abundant. He'd still be rich and full. He'd still be more than any poor old sinner could ever hope for. But you know, the Bible says that I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the hearts of men what God hath prepared for them that loves Him. I'm thankful God does what He says, but I'm thankful He does some things He didn't say He'd do too. I mean, listen, if God was to put a roof over my head and clothes on my back and food in my belly, be it ever so meaner, he'd be doing what he said he'd do. But instead, he goes over and above so many times. He answers not just my needs, but my wants. I mean, he did what he said he'd do, but he's done more than he said he'd do. God's done so much for me that I didn't need uh, for him to do just for me to live, and he's done it. Wow, why did Philemon do that? Well, why do you ever do any more than you have to do? You do it because you love somebody. He says, I know you're not just going to do what I say, Philemon. You're going to do more than I would say. And then finally we see his abiding. Perhaps, therefore, he departed. For a season, verse 15, if thou shouldest receive him forever. 
that verse, if I could pick one verse to sum up God's dealings with humanity, it would be the book of Philemon in verse 15. I've had people ask me before, why did God let man fall? Why did he even let Satan into the garden? Why? If God's sovereign, if God is perfect, if God is in control, how could he let that happen? For perhaps, therefore, he departed from me for a season. Because let me tell you something. What we've got is better than what Adam had. Yeah, right. How does that happen? Well, it happens because we've chosen Jesus Christ of our own free will. Oh, we're going to get to heaven, and there's going to be a lot of songs they're singing, I'm sure. And I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm hillbilly and I'm redneck and I'm backwards. And I, I mean, it, I was reading somebody, some quote the other day said, if, if brains were large, most people would need to have enough to grease a skillet. That's me. I'm in that group. You call me ignorant, okay? But I sometimes imagine that they'll sing some of the songs we do. And I'm sure they're going to sing songs we can never even dream of. And there's a lot of songs that they could sing. They could sing of His power. Well, they could sing to God be the glory, great things He had done. They could sing about, oh, they could sing about the goodness and greatness of God. But if they didn't have the saints, they didn't have the redeemed, they didn't have those that have been fallen in sin and redeemed through Calvary, they could never sing about the grace of God. They right. wouldn't know anything about that. You see, God let humanity fall so that we might receive, be received of Him forever. Aren't you thankful that it's, aren't you thankful you don't always have to be worrying about keeping your salvation? After Onesimus met Paul, that's when things changed. And you and I, listen, if you're here, if you're lost and undone without Christ, I'm here to tell you that though you may be a runaway slave, you can return home a brother. Yeah. And you can come and know Christ. 